Welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast, the original all-turkey, all-the-time podcast with your co-hosts Andy Galliano and Cameron Weddington. In our weekly podcast, we're going to bring you some wild turkey calling tips like this. From there, we're going to go into, she's aggravated, there's another hen that's challenged her, or she's challenging another hen, she's going to cut an excited yelp. Advice from old pro turkey hunters like this. The turkeys typically don't like, I think, more times than not, to travel in an easterly direction into the sun first thing in the morning, especially after he gets up. It's a blinding thing. It, it, it's just like you. It's hard for you to see into the sun. Mm-hmm. So if I have a choice, I'm going to try to make it so that I'm going to be on the west side in the morning east side in the afternoon of a turkey exciting live hunts like this holy crap they're coming teach you how to cook your bird with advice such as this with some fresh rosemary and garlic and then cool that off and spread that along the inside of that butterflied turkey breast that we've seasoned on both sides wildlife management tips for your property especially with turkeys like this if you look at the type of habitats that turkeys need for nesting and brooding that tends to be habitat that can be managed more successfully with growing season fire than with dormant season fire. And hopefully along the way, we'll get plenty of these. Well, on November the 28th of 1953, I was attached. When I popped out of my mom and the baby doctor spanked me on the bottom, I went, oh, and I've been doing it ever since. <laughs> I like that. Thank you for tuning in, and now, for this week's show. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 306, Connecting Women to Hunting, from the 2020 NWTF Convention. And I am your co-host... And the guy who is still living in disarray. And I am your co-host. And the guy whose body has become a human hotel for the chigger. <laughs> so, hotel for chiggers. That's I have, me. I have been that before, so I can totally relate to your misery. I'm going to offer you one suggestion. Let's hear it. Tea tree oil. Hmm. That's now, one I haven't tried. You're going to have to mix it. So I would mix it like maybe 50-50 with some sort of carrier oil like jojoba oil or jojoba oil if you want to pronounce it the Alabama way or olive oil or you could even mix it with baby oil. But it will dry up your chiggers in about 
three days and they will not itch anymore. Yeah, I may have to do that because my legs are covered. I went turkey scouting in shorts on Labor Day and luckily all the grass in the entire area was about waist high. Mm-hmm. So probably shouldn't have been wearing shorts was the bottom line I concluded to when I started itching that night. Yeah. But so, I had a fun time and whacked four squirrels and a dove and found some gobbler tracks. So it was a successful day. There you go. That was a win right there. Yeah. One other suggestion I have for you is, and you guys listening to the show are going to love this if you have not heard it before. If you find yourself in an area that you suspect has one chigger living in it or one million chiggers living in it, and you do not have bug spray, if you will, with medium pressure, rub yourself down with your hands immediately after you get out of the woods or the field or wherever it is that you are that you have chiggers, you will actually kill the chiggers before they bite you. Wow. I didn't realize you had your doctorate in chiggerology. I am (laughs) a prize for chiggers. Oh man, you're the you're the white whale of the chigger world. Yes. Now my dad swears that he is, and he may be, but I can tell you if I walk within a hundred yards of a roost site for a chigger, I've got him. He's on me. Mm. If I just had that type of magnetism for wild turkeys. Yeah, that's the that's the thing. I don't know why it is that we're so attractive to things we don't want to find us. And so unattractive to things we want to come looking for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But have you bothered to count the number of bites that you have on each leg? I think it would be, phys- like, I don't know that I can count that high. Really? Wow, man. That's pretty bad. Oh, it, it, it would blow your mind. I'm looking at probably 30 on my right ankle right now. Wow. It, I mean, I walked probably seven miles through knee-high grass with no pants on so it was well deserved you know (laughs) yeah i went thinking i was gonna go dove hunting with a backup contingency plan did not see a single dove so i was like all right backup plan time to turkey scout and shoot some squirrels did see a dove walking across the road the dove was walking across the road and so i whacked him straight ground swat they taste too good to give him a chance to fly. Yeah. And then there was a tree full of squirrels right behind him. So I walked up there and busted me four squirrels and found some gobbler tracks. But in the meantime, I was the real victim being hunted is what I found yes. out. <laughs> yes, it sounds like it. So do you have your sense of taste and smell back? It is coming back. I noticed yesterday I caught a whiff of the soap in the shower and I started noticing faint tastes so today my sense of taste i would say is 40 to 50 percent back everything just kind of tastes a little more bland than used to yeah but i can like if you blindfolded me i'd be able to tell you what i was eating now (laughs) yeah whereas last week like unless there was a very conclusive texture i would have had no idea Hmm. like if you'd given me a lays potato chip and a dorito i wouldn't have known which one was which you know and you never tried haggis did you no i didn't our haggis supplies are pretty low around here you've missed your opportunity yeah i just you know would wash down every meal with a bottle of hot sauce and brush my teeth with straight vodka you know that was that was kind of what i was up to no haggis though well 
There's always next year with COVID-20. Yeah, that's true. I figure it'll be, I don't know, it probably will be gone November 4th forever, but if not, I'll I'll let you know how haggis is the next time I contract deadly coronavirus. So the house is still in disarray? Yes, the house is still in disarray. So step 10 out of 11 is still underway, and that is the cabinets in the kitchen are being painted. The sheetrock in the sunroom has been hung on the ceiling, so that's done. But I'm told we have one more day of having workers in my house, but I have my doubts about that. (laughs) Anything with houses, you usually can expect it's going to take twice as long and cost twice as much. Yeah. So I think probably realistically a day and a half and they're going to be gone. So maybe I can get some furniture moved around and get things put back in order over the weekend. So it'll be good. It'll be be nice to sort of get back into a routine of work and then come upstairs and have furniture to trip over. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what routine it's going to be really nice to get back into, and that's the one that starts in 205 days, 9 hours, 17 minutes, and 55 seconds. Mm-hmm. Spring turkey season in Tennessee. Well, mine allegedly starts in 191 days, 9 hours, 45 minutes, and 12 seconds. Yeah, you're going to be saying allegedly, it sounds like, till February when they actually set the, the deal so we'll go with it till then i suppose well and it's not even going to be at that point allegedly until march the 20th it i mean i'm i'm telling you 99 percent certainty that turkey season is going to start this year the third saturday in march mm. and if it ever changes it will not be this year it will be in a future year so mm-hmm. we'll see but we shall see that's yeah. interesting but yeah. so yeah it goes you know speaking of hunting and that kind of stuff you and i've been talking a good bit about <laughs> a hunting trip in february yeah and we're killing some winter gobblers this year that is going to happen yeah so we're trying to narrow down and decide between utah and texas yeah and we're definitely leaning more so towards utah although i think we will most likely be shooting turkeys in the snow in utah in february it will most likely be snow on the ground but i think that'd be pretty sick personally unless it's just miserably cold yeah yeah i'm I'm with you there i think that that would be a lot of fun especially if they're gobbling in the snow Oh, yeah, and when I Fighting. gobble with them and they come charging in and we yeah. fight them with our bare hands and kill two of them mm-hmm. in the snow, that's what I'm talking about. Our bare, frozen club hands. <laughs> that's the key. You you put one hand in the snow for a while, get it good and frozen solid, and then, I mean, just one swift blow to the head, you got him. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's the key to success right there. Yeah. Right listeners write that down you have to hope that he doesn't pull the matrix on you dodge your swing and come at you with a left spur oh yeah because if he if he got that spur in you it may shatter your frozen hand 
the whole hand. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I agree. It'd be like a piece of glass. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But seriously, yeah, we, we're gonna we're looking at Utah now. I guess in place of our Nebraska trip, we're going somewhere. January, February, we're doing a winter turkey hunt. Is what it sounds like to me. We're gonna get it lined out. At least one. I might do both of them. You might do both of them. I don't know. We're gonna no. kill some tom turkeys in the dead of winter. That's the goal. Yeah. Your bride expressed to me interest in going on the trip, especially if it is to Utah. And oh, yeah. She seems really pumped up about it to the point that she said, I might even go hunting too. <laughs> she said it. Now, I don't know. You know, if it's 15 degrees, her tune might change. The The spa down the street might look a little more enticing. But mm-hmm. well, I would... I'd love for her to go. I offer for her to go all the time. Um, she's just not not her cup of tea. But as we'll talk about today, there yeah. are some women who are getting into it and could be a good thing for the sport. Absolutely. So, yeah, mine is definitely going to be in the spa. It's going to be too cold. It would be too cold for her in South Florida in February. So I know that Utah is going to be too cold. Well, I'll- tell you it was too cold for me in south florida in march and that's not even a joke (laughs) well yeah you're sleeping out in it though that was the the coldest i've ever been in my life other than vermont was south florida which blows my mind because i came prepared for sweating my you know what's off the entire time and ended up freezing to death with the strongest cold front florida's seen in many moons you went down there with one pair of socks, <laughs> one pair of shoes, one pair no. of underwear, and your light camo clothes, and yeah. thought that you were hunting in Alabama in May. Basically. I I mean, it, the day we got there, it was roasting hot. So we hike in, four miles in, throw up some hammocks, hot as can be. You know, we're just going to sleep out in it. Turns out it's going to drop down to like 29, 30 degrees that night. When you're in a hammock with no blankets at all, 30 degrees is very cold. It's very, very cold. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it was so cold, I tried sleeping in my turkey vest to try to warm me up. <laughs> what, did you and climb it, in the pouch? <laughs> I, I just, any, anything that added a layer on me was was grabbed and put in there in the hammock with me. And eventually, I mean, at two in the morning, we walked all four miles back to the car to get warm clothes and a blanket and then walked four miles back to the hammock. So we had about a 12 mile night and then woke up an hour later and went and killed two gobblers. So it was all worth it. Yeah. Yeah. But it was cold. So, yeah. So let's talk just for another few seconds about this seminar. Yeah. And this might be one that we guys want to listen to because it is the Connecting Women to Hunting seminar that is really a round table is what it is. Yeah. And Brenda Valentine emceed the seminar at the NWTF convention this past February. And there were four women on the panel and questions were asked of those four women about hunting how they got into it, you know, there's mentors, just all sorts of questions like that. And so I thought it was a very, very interesting seminar. 
And we'll talk a little bit more afterwards about, you know, to me, what I thought were some of the the high points of the seminar, some things that really kind of stuck out to me. But yeah. it, it was, I thought it was just extremely an interesting seminar, and I thought that they did a great job with it. And it was a pretty packed room. Hmm. So... You know, at the beginning of the seminar, you can hear Brenda talking about, oh, they just stuck us women down here where nobody could find us, so we'd be out of the way for an hour. But the room was found, and it was a very well-attended seminar. So what do you say we jump into this thing, let the listeners listen in, and then we catch them on the other side of it? Sounds good to me. We'll see you guys on the other side. Good morning, everybody. How are you this morning? Good morning. Good. I'm glad to see all these smiling faces. Um, we have a wonderful uh, group of ladies here this morning that's going to speak with you about connecting women into hunting, and I hope that if you have questions that you will ask them and give them an opportunity to share from their experience. Miss um, Brenda Valentine will be moderating this session this morning, so I want to share a little bit with you about her. Uh, Miss Valentine is the first lady of hunting. She is often credited with starting the current women's hunting movement and directly responsible for recruiting more women into hunting than anyone in modern history. Brenda is currently a national spokesperson for NWTF and a 25-year veteran member of Bass Pro Shops Cabela's Professional Hunting Team Ambassador as well as a 20-year member of the Mossy Oak National Elite staff. Brenda continues to travel the world, spreading the message about ethical hunting, gun rights, and conservation. So please welcome Ms. Brenda to the stage. Thank you, Tracy. Um, I'm debating on whether we need to close this door or not. I'm also debating if they put us here for a reason. It's like, okay, cram all them women back down there in hard places to find so that they'll shut up and be quiet for an hour and, 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 uh, and not be obstructing the, the whole convention here. Thank you all for coming. We had a good group last year, and we've got probably an even better group this year. Uh, we've got a distinguished panel here. We have one returnee, I believe, and we're going to start with, when I introduce you and give your bio, I mean, we have name tags. I don't know if everybody can see it, but stand up so everybody can know who I'm talking about. I'm going to start with Joanna Dart. <coughs> Joanna grew up enjoying the outdoors, recreational activities, and while attending graduate school. She participated in an internship where she spent her summers researching hunting, recruitment, and programs. Through the course of her internship, she became a hunter and is now the NWTF Recruitment, Retention, and Reactivation Coordinator in partnership with the Ohio Department of Natural Resources of Wildlife. Very good background there on Joanna. Charita Niedemeyer. Charita <laughs> <laughs> was born and raised in Gary, Indiana, and currently lives in Fort Wayne. 
She was introduced to hunting and fishing over 20 years ago and became involved in a local NWTF planning committee in 2003. She became the chapter vice president in 2005, and she was approached by a regional director in 2006 about starting a Women in the Outdoors program in her chapter, <clears throat> and this year marks their 15th event. She's partnered with Indiana DNR to host ladies R3 hunts back in 2012 and currently host hunts for men and women each fall. And I can personally say that I have been to Sharita's events and she is a fireball at organizing and taking care of the ladies in these uh, outdoor women's events. <clears throat> Thank you, Sharita, for being here. Helen Butt. quail hunting, fishing, and rattlesnake hunting. After moving back to New Mexico in 2006, she started hunting and fishing again with her own family and hasn't stopped. She attended an NWTF banquet with her husband 12 years ago and, like Charita, was approached by the regional director who asked if she'd be interested in launching a Women in the Outdoors program in New Mexico. <clears throat> She became the local NWTF Masilla Valley Longbeards Chapter President and the Women in the Outdoors Coordinator for the State of New Mexico all at the same time. She also currently serves as the New Mexico NWTF State Board Secretary. And I will add that Helen was at one time from Nashville, Tennessee, so this is a homecoming every year for her to come back to convention. And Marsha Cravings, which we all think of, and she said it too. I said, Pradines as in pralines? And, and then I immediately thought of Dorothy McCarver from Texas. I think well, every time I hear of pralines, but it's Pradines, which is a new word for me. So if I mess it up, I'm apologizing ahead of time. <coughs> Marsha is the project leader of the Chesapeake Marshlands National Wildlife Refuge Complex, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, which includes Blackwater National Wildlife Refuge in Maryland. She has a master's in wildlife management from West Virginia University and is an NWTF member and was awarded the Maryland Chapter's First Partner of the Year Award. She partnered with NWTF and Maryland DNR to create the First Shot Mentored Hunt Program for adults wanting to learn how to hunt, and in two years has mentored over 80 new hunters on the refuge, with the majority of them being women. She and loves to deer and turkey hunt. She serves as the R3 chair for the Northeast region of the Fish and Wildlife Service where she helps other refugees start their own program to help engage hunters. Marsha has a strong desire to break down both the stereotypes and the barriers for women and other minorities to get involved in the liberating and diverse world of outdoor sports. Thank you, Marsha. That, that's very good uh, saying. So do you think we rounded up some qualified panelists here? Yeah. I do too. Let's get All right, we have a, and I'll tell you folks, if you can't see, I mean, don't, we don't want you to walk out of here and we have to crank your neck back around. If you'd like to sit over here, 
You can get in the back row where you'll behave. Okay. <laughs> There's plenty of room back there. <laughs> no, we, we uh, had to put this over here because of, of room restrictions here. So and feel free to get up and move and find you a seat over there where maybe you can see better. Or I think you can hear well, but the seeing part. So let me, yes. We agree, and we wondered if that was intentional. I know, I know. They try to keep me in the corner all the time. <laughs> all right, I think Teresa's going to go out and direct traffic or flag them in or do something. All right, we have some uh, questions here that we're going to pass around, and we'd like responses from Whoever feels froggy can jump in first, but if you don't, then I'll, I'll pick you, how that works. <laughs> and if any of you have a burning question that you want to ask an individual panelist, just raise your hand and we'll find an answer here, or we'll let them all answer and you'll have everybody's opinion. All right, the, the first one is probably the most obvious one. Why do you feel it is important to connect women to hunting? The, the mics are on. Why don't we start at one end and each of you give your answer. Okay. Hey, everybody. I would say that our most recent census has our population at about 50% men and 50% women. However, when we look at our hunting population, it's closer to 85% male and 15% female. Boo. Let's, let's get closer to 50-50. But in addition to that, I think it's really important to note that there are a lot of women out there that were not really given the opportunities or the connections to explore hunting. So I grew up in a non-hunting family. No one I knew hunted. It was not an activity that I would have ever imagined for myself because nobody I knew did it. If it hadn't been for a class that was aimed at recruiting adult hunters, I may have never gone hunting, and I certainly wouldn't have ended up in this room doing what it is that I do. I think it's important to note, too, that women are a great audience because some of us have money, we have transportation, we have solidified interests. If we become interested in something, we're probably going to stick with it. And if we try hunting and I choose to have children, they're going to be exposed as well. I was going to bring up that same point. I'm sorry, I thought I sound like Kermit the Frog today. <laughs> I woke up and I was like, what? No. Um, and it is a proven fact. I think I was at this seminar when um, even Jana Waller had said that the statistics and the, um, the study that they did said that, you know, hunting can no longer live on that alone. And it can't because, you know, it will die out. Um, getting the women engaged and in the youth um, is definitely what we're geared towards. And it's proven, too, that if the woman in the family hunts, usually the children will follow. Um, I'm, you know, exactly a prime example. Both of my boys, I took them out on their first deer hunt and you know I got to see them harvest their first turkeys I got to see them harvest their first um, elk so and influencing our youth as well as our, our, our female and our women population is, is where we're headed in, in our direction so it's very important I echo everything she says um, both of them actually because um, I like um, 
Brenda mentioned I grew up in Gary, Indiana, so any of you that are familiar with Gary, Indiana, Michael Jackson, um, <laughs> high crime area, you think guns, you think, ooh, bad, you know, what do we need guns for? We got the police department, um, hunting, that's old school, why do that when you can just go to Kroger? Um, so I got introduced to hunting and fishing from my husband. Um, we met on the job, which was, oh my God, I didn't think I'd ever meet anybody working with me, but he told me about this hunting, fishing, and shooting. I'm like, ooh, gross, you know, and we should come with me one day and just check it out. And I checked it out, and um, after a couple times, I got hooked. And the thing about women hunters also, um, usually when we hunt, we want to get other people involved, our friends. Um, whereas maybe some of our male counterparts will go out deer hunting by themselves. Uh, forget my friends, I don't want them shooting a deer. I will go out turkey hunting by myself, I don't want them shooting a turkey. So a lot of times if you recruit me, I'm going to recruit three more ladies. And that's just increasing our hunter numbers, which obviously is a big thing right now. I'm um, getting to that 1.3 million hunters. So um, I think that's a big plus in getting women introduced to hunting. And that will bring our friends as well. Marsha, do you have yeah, I just echo all of that, and the connecting part is the, is the huge um, part that I think women bring to the table. Um, I'm not sure why, you know, we're so much more, we, we bring folks in, but we do, and it's not just other women, too, it's other men as well. And oftentimes, I guess maybe we're, sometimes men even can feel a little more vulnerable with us. Um, I have folks, men that work for me and others, and they've never picked up a firearm, but they assume other men assume they have that experience. They assume, and we as women don't, and they feel a little bit more open in being able to, to come and try something and be like, yeah, I'm, I'm still a man, but <laughs> I've never picked up a gun. And by the way, we have several men in the audience, and we're tickled to death that you're here. Thank you for showing up. I don't know if it, because it's Valentine's Day, some of you got twisted into it. But for whatever reason, we're, we're glad you're here and you're always welcome. One thing I'll add to this, uh, tomorrow is the World Grand Champion Hall of Fame uh, induction for our turkey callers. And I'm into introducing one and He's told me many times his parents did not hunt, and it was his grandmother that took him when he was a little boy, would take him out in the woods and, and teach him woodsmanship skills, took him fishing, done all the things that normally uh, hunters do with their kids, but that's how he grew up, and he, he went on to be a uh, seven-time world champion turkey caller. So, you know, we, we do leave our footprints on everybody and we, we need to extend that even if it's not our own children. Second question, <clears throat> what advice would you give a female who has an interest in hunting but no one to show her and how to get started? Are there resources you recommend such as books or websites or any of the uh, outlets that you have found that have been helpful. So I would start by answering with some of the resources that I found helpful in my personal journey into hunting. Your state agency website is a great place to start. So for us in Ohio, it's the Department of Natural Resources. It might be the Department of Game and Fish. It might be the Department of Game and Parks. I'm running out of acronyms, but there are a ton more. 
but a lot of those agencies are actively working on recruiting more people and are offering the kinds of programs that we're talking about that take new people out and teach them the skills that they would like to learn. And not only that, many of those sites have really great links to other external resources that you can learn from. The National Wild Turkey Federation has their own set of sources online. If you aren't familiar, there's a really cool one that tells you all the different uh, calls that turkeys make, and then there's an audio file that goes with each one. I had a lot of fun messing around with my dogs with those. They had a great time. <laughs> and my last suggestion would be check out a retailer. Cabela's usually offers some entry-level classes, and you might be able to meet other people at those classes that can help you out. I know a lot of them. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. There you go. Is this thing on? Yeah. <laughs> um, I know um, a majority of our ladies that and guys, um, you know, if they go on for an event that we host, um, Facebook is really, really an important tool. Um, social media is just like exploded. But um, at the end of our Women in the Outdoors event, we always do a survey. And here's a trick, if any of you guys, you know, want your surveys back, offer a gift. Like I always say, you know, bring your survey back and you'll put you in for, and it's like an awesome prize or awesome turkey call or something, and they'll bring up their survey because, I mean, your surveys are what in turn tell us, you know, how good we did and feedback for our event. But Facebook has been a great tool because, and I put that question on my survey specifically just to find out, you know, how did you hear about us? And those women will want to get into those classes and get involved and they'll, almost all of them have put some sort of social media by just launching an event. Almost all of mine found out through social media. So that's a great tool as well. Again, I second both of them. Um, <laughs> DNR is a big help in Indiana. Um, their main focus right now are the R3 events. So most times you can just go on their website um, and go to the events section or the hunting section. Uh, most of them will have um, not only hunts but seminars and to me I think if you can catch a seminar like say for turkey hunting go to that first and then keep an eye on maybe the turkey hunts later on um, just stair step it all the way through and like she said social media is a big thing especially with the young people if we're going to recruit the young ones out there we have to stay on top of Facebook, uh, Instagram especially um, even Snapchat, you know, um, LinkedIn, whatever. Um, just talk to a, a younger crowd and they will tell you which websites they follow. And just latch on and advertise, advertise, advertise. And you can pretty much find anything you need from there. And like they said, the different stores as well. A lot of times they'll have different seminars. Um, you get involved with that. So. Great, yeah. Uh, as far as the social uh, media, there's some really great women-only mentoring hunting groups. Uh, Sisterhood of the Outdoors is actually here at the exhibition. There's some other very specific ones, and let me tell you, I follow social media. I follow some of the, um, well, there's one in Eastern Shore, Maryland, called Delmarva um, Sick of Deer page, and you've got some pretty, uh, well, sometimes rude <laughs> type of comments. And then you go on to the opposite end of the spectrum, which is the women's hunting forums. And they are so empowering and supportive. And I actually met several of our mentors for our first shot hunt that were women through these social media um, avenues, just asking for them. And got to meet two of them, L'Oreal and Maribeth, and have been wonderful assets. So you put it out there, and the women just, they just come out and try and help each other. Um, I myself didn't grow up hunting. I started with a widow, a Women in the Outdoors event when I was 18. And I had a support network of my then husband and their family. But guess what happened when I got a divorce? 
I lost my support network and I actually stopped hunting for about 10 years based on where I lived and I didn't know anybody and I told folks that I really wanted to get back into it but nobody really stepped up. And then it took, it took actually changing my job and where I was and um, I got to give a shout out to my mentor who helped me get back into it and Rachel Dawson sitting in the room. <laughs> Anyways, thank you. <laughs> so, stages as a hunter that you might go through and, and different um, techniques and tools that you might need to help you get back in and find that support wherever you can. So it's going to be a mix of social media, it's going to be a mix of events like NWTF and it's going to be a mix of just having the right people in your life at the right time. So basically don't be afraid to ask. Yeah. If you're interested and you want to hunt, find somebody that you think knows more than you do and ask them. Okay, the next question is, what would you say to women hunters that feel inadequate to mentor another female? <clears throat> and the second part is, at what point during a new hunter's experience do you think they're really ready to mentor someone else? Okay, back to number one. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can pass this back. They don't have to dump on you unless you want to. No, that's great. <laughs> okay. So I am sort of in this point in my personal hunting journey right now. So I have not been hunting very long, but I am starting to realize that I do have things that I could share with other people. It's just a process of unpacking what the term mentor means. That sounds really intimidating, that sounds like a lot, but in my experience, if you find someone who wants to go out and is asking you what you think and asking for some advice, something that's worked really well for me is to have a good conversation with the person who's interested. So I tell them how long I've been hunting, what species I've tried, my, I usually lead with my failures and then my successes, but I try and be as honest as possible about what my skill level is. I think that I can keep them safe in the field, whether it's with a firearm or with a bow, but other than that, we might be Googling it together on the fly. Is that okay with you? And you know, you will meet some people that have done enough research about hunting on their own that they really want more of an expert, and that's fine, and I'm not a good fit for them. But I would say most of the time, people think that sounds great. It's actually refreshing for them to know that I'm not an expert either, that I'm sort of finding my way through this process and we can learn together. Because then that way we get to read maps together, we get to see sign together, and it makes it feel more of a friendship, I think, that you're doing this thing together and neither of you are experts. And I'm glad you brought that up, the word expert. Um, I was always told, if even if you've been hunting for 50 years, you still aren't an expert. Um, if you're not learning something every time you go out hunting, whether you've been hunting for five years or 50 years, you might have a problem. Um, I know as far as me, I've been hunting for about 20 years, and I learn something new every day. So even when I'm mentoring another hunter, I learn something new every day. I mean, it's we're learning together. So I think as far as how do you know if you're ready to take someone out, only you know internally. I mean, if you don't feel comfortable mentoring someone yet, you know, maybe pass the torch on to someone who is, but the problem, I don't say the problem, but basically get that person out, you know, I mean, it's like she said, learn together, you know, I mean, it's, it's all a learning process every time you go out. 
she she said exactly what I was thinking is um, learning together. The the few times that I've taken somebody out for a mentor time, it's the same thing. I mean, I learn. I'm by no means an expert. Um, I I learn just as much as um, they do when we go out. We're learning together, and I kind of make it more of a mutual. Let's just go and have fun, and you know whether we whether you're successful or not, it's not the issue. It's actually just enjoying the time out there together, like showing them signs. And I mean, the more you know, you pass it on, and, and they become you know addicted as well. I've had great success, and then I've had failures as well, either, either as a mentor or a hunter. It's just a great experience, and it's good for them to learn as well and to go through their own failures. And like um, Melissa was here with me last year. She actually, you know, I called in a bird for her. She shot and missed, but that just made her like desire it even more. Like her determination to come back and do it again was just unbelievable. She loved it. So just because it's not a successful hunt doesn't mean it wasn't, you know, something that you should be proud of. And um, as far as mentoring, if, if there, if someone is ready to take somebody out and enjoy the experience together, I think they should go ahead and do it. Definitely. I don't know if you ever know, and I mean, I've been through this very, um, you know, recently as well, uh, but you learn through your failures as long as you're being safe and you're being legal, <laughs> you, know, you, you learn through those failures. And being able, like you said in the very beginning, to be able to know how to give the answers is extremely important. So knowing that process of where to go or, oh, I'm going to use Onyx now so I don't get lost again. Not that I've ever done that, but <laughs> <laughs> anyway, on my own refuge. Uh, anyway. um, and I just think of an instance, it was my very first year turkey hunting. So Rachel helped get me back in, kind of taught me the basics. I had been deer hunting for a while before, but like I said, had that 10-year lapse. And another friend of mine who I worked with as a big deer hunter, never turkey hunted, we both went out together knowing the basics and knowing this, and, and I wasn't mentoring her. I was encouraging her to come on out and try turkey hunting, and she was encouraging she was encouraging me to be like, yeah, I'll go with you, don't worry. So I got a place to go hunt on private land, um, and the, the guy who let us hunt there was like, oh, so which one of you have turkey hunted uh, before? And neither one of us, this is our first season, and he just looked at us both and goes, oh boy. <laughs> Guess what happened? We went out that morning, we did our scouting, we did all our homework, we had support from Rachel and learning about that. I got my first turkey that morning um, on that farm with my friend helping me call it in. She did a purr. That's what brought it in, was this purr. <laughs> and then, as if that wasn't great enough, two hours later, I helped her get her first bird. Two women who never did it. Obviously, for hunting programs, but 
Something that's really helped me in my job is spending some time thinking about who I would like to come to my programs before I start trying to build the programs up. So for example, a push for us in Ohio right now is trying to connect the women who are interested in knowing where their food comes from, having healthy organic protein, but they've never gone hunting and they've never been a hunter trying to find those women, you look for them in a farmer's market or a co-op or something like that. So sometimes you have to be a little more strategic about where you're looking for the people that you'd like. Another example is, you know, research shows that a lot of millennials from my generation are interested in hunting, but more for the adventure aspect. They want the experience, they want to know what it's like. And so you would look probably more in college groups or in a young professional network maybe, the places that you're looking, I think, differ based off who you'd like to attract to your programs. Second. <laughs> um, one thing that I've been doing at my Weedle event, um, one of the, I usually have about 24 classes, and one of those classes is always an intro to hunting class. So that's a great way to target some of those women. And like she mentioned earlier about the survey forms they fill out at the end, I think there are questions on there that ask if you've ever been hunting, if you're interested. Um, so I take those surveys seriously. I will collect those, and then I will make sure when we do our hunts to send information out. But a lot of times those women will take the intro to hunting class. And it's basically just a wide range class to our class and just go over, you know, score anything that's legal in Indiana. We just, talk about it all. Because a lot of women think, you know, oh, I want to hunt, but which critter do I hunt first? So in the class, we, we talk about squirrel, you know, we talk about waterfowl, deer, turkey, cover the whole gamut um, for Indiana critters. And a lot of times by the end of the class, they know where they want to start first. Um, a lot of times we'll go over budget. So if they're a single mom with five kids or whatever, um, well, I know waterfowl hunting is not for me. It's going to cost an arm and to get started. So I'll start with squirrel. So um, a lot of times at the end of the event, they'll come to me and say, I want to try the squirrel hunting. And then, of course, I will turn them on to the DNR or if we're hosting an event, you know, like that. Um, so I think it's real important for any of you ladies here that do a Weedle event, make sure one of your classes is an intro to hunting class. And a lot of them will take that class and let them ask all the questions they can. Talk about something for a little bit, but make sure your ladies are asking all the questions. It's really important. One of the other things that we also offer um, is a hunter education. Um, we'll do an introduction to, um, to hunting as well, but um, our game and fish department is really good about um, specifically going for either, we have our youth, but we also, they'll um, host ladies' um, introduction to hunting, which also launches the interest. Um, our Women in the Outdoors event has had kind of all walks of life. We have ladies that'll come that specifically want to hunt, or maybe they're even seasoned in hunting, but there's also the ones that just want to come for the outdoorsy that actually end up getting hooked on um, just through either talking to other ladies or to us. We've had a few from the farmer's market. You said that, and I was like, oh my gosh, Lisa is like the prime, she came to mind when you said that. Um, her, she introduced her husband, but through coming to our event, she was um, teaching our ladies how to make soaps, because we try to do a wide variety. I, I do about 20 to 24 classes as well, and um, they have went on to harvest turkey and deer and, and oryx, and like they're just both addicted, so it wasn't even just like her, you know, passing it on to another woman, which she's doing now in another youth, but even getting her husband into it, who has never done it before, so... It's a, it's, it was a great, a great way to start for women that have never 
Have they run it? Go ahead. Uh, yeah, and one thing that I will add that hasn't been said yet. So if you have limited time and resources, and so far as you can only take X amount of people for your program or whatever it is you do, one thing we've done with our first shot program, which is the Maryland chapter of NWTF as well as DNR, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, is that we, we have um, questions that we ask. And we don't randomly select from just all, because we, uh, we've had over 70 and last time over 90 people apply. For, for deer, we have like 25 spots. For turkey, we have about 17 spots. We don't just randomly pick from them. We look at their answers and we see who is fitting our criteria. And our criteria, because we can only take so many, are adult hunters who don't have a social support network to take them hunting. In other words, if it weren't for our program in Maryland, they wouldn't be out there doing it. That's just our selective criteria. And then from all of those who meet the criteria, then we randomly select as much as possible. And that I think is important because as Russ can attest, our, our, our past four workshops in the past two years have been so incredibly diverse and with women and different cultures and backgrounds. We've had a lot of international people as well, uh, people from China, um, uh, Germany, quite a few others. And we believe it's because we are randomly selecting from those people who meet that criteria. So it's not just friends of chapter members, friends of that, because there are other ways to get them involved and there are other programs. So that's the niche that we selected that we think works. And then what happens from there, and one of um, Karen's here, she was one of our mentees, she actually came to the conference. Another one of our mentees is now an NWTF uh, chapter president. What happens from there is they tell their friends and their family and their kids or their co-workers um, and then they apply as well. So I think that's why we've been getting more and more people apply that need that sort of help. Can I reiterate too, um, she mentioned about the farmers markets and um, clean eating and all that. And one thing our chapter started tapping into is um, our local Fort Wayne Parks and Recreation. Um, Fort Wayne's a city and um, basically we had an R3 summit, was it last year I think it was, and they showed up and they said, well obviously we can't do any hunting events, can't go shooting in the city. That wouldn't be good. Um, but we'd like to partner with you guys and do something. What can we do? So talk to you. If you're in a big enough town where you can't hunt, um, but get with your parks and rec. And maybe you can get them to start hosting wild game dinners, maybe even hunt seminars, you know, learn how to deer hunt, a classroom seminar. They would love to do that with you. Um, I know some of them do the fishing seminars already, but try to get them um, to start doing the hunting seminars and wild game dinners. And we tapped into that market think back in November. Um, there were a lot of ladies that showed up, again, because they're there for the clean eating. So you have a wild game dinner, and you just ask maybe your committee and some other people to provide like deer and duck and all that. And we had some ladies show up that are really interested in clean eating. And so I'm hoping the next step is them hunting. And actually, we got one of the Parks and Recreation hosts. She was the MC for the event. She was vegetarian. And now she's excited about going turkey hunting and duck hunting. So talk to your vegetarians and your vegans. You never know where you might go. Yes, I was a little shocked. So actually one of our committee members, she was vegan. And I think the story was her dad died. I think he died because of a chicken uh, like spurred him and it hit that main vein. So she started eating chickens and eating meat again for revenge. She was, she was vegan. Oh, they're vegan or vegetarian, they're not interested. No, those are the ones you really want to target. So it was 
it's his time to go and she declared war on all chicken or something. I like that. She was sweet I just think that's one thing we all need to do better is finding those next steps, those next continuing with support, continuing without support steps along the adoption frame. Um, so that's, uh, you're talking about DNR and others doing those programs. That's incredibly important, and I don't think we do enough of it. At least we need more help. We need others doing that in our state, so it's excellent to hear that. Yeah, and don't be afraid to go to, like, your local sportsman's warehouse, Cabela's. You guys offer that class. You guys go take them and, and make that initiative, too, because the women will come. The ladies will, especially, but, you know, the guys will, too. You know, they're all interested, but go to your sportsman's warehouse, Cabela's. Offer to do a wild game cooking or, you know, a women's seminar. We have, I mean, I think it's sportsman's warehouse has us out every once a year, every February, March, to do ladies' night. So that's a that's a prime target, and they they advertise it, and then through your widow and your and your social media. One thing I've noticed is that ladies come to an event and they're interested. They soak it up, but then what is the next step? So how can we do a better job of connecting these participants? to other outdoor opportunities after they attend your event. We can't just let them wither on the vine once we have them interested. So I finally get to add to something that a previous person said, as Marsha mentioned. She was jumping the gun over here. Just a few minutes ago. When you take someone who's brand new to hunting and you get them through a mentor content, they love it and they're excited, that's actually the time that they are most likely to stop doing that activity. That's when people need the most help, that continuation with support with a mentor and then without support but still being able to access people who have the skills that they need and can help them through a little bit of the questions that they're having. So I think for us as people that offer programs, the best things we can do are to stay in contact, whether that's getting an email address, a private Facebook group, making sure they follow you on Instagram. Make sure, first of all, they know how to find you on all of those social media programs and keep a database of their email addresses if you can. And when you know that you have an event coming up or your chapter has an event or another chapter kind of close to you has an event or even a DNR event, let them all know. I'm finding that a really efficient way is to make sure that maybe 10% of your group knows and then they'll tell the other 90%. Word of mouth is really big for, for women in particular, I think. I'm, gonna, I'm seeing a lot of heads, so I'm going to leave some content for others. But I think making sure that we're giving next steps that are clear and linking them if possible, whether those next follow-up steps are your programs or other programs. You don't have to do it all by yourself. Get them with as many other partners as you can. So you said exactly the key. Um, one of the things that we do that's been very successful is we started an actual Facebook group for them to um, interact with. Um, these ladies, they still teach. They talk to each other. They do events together. We try to do follow-up events. Um, we'll put it in there. Like I think for Christmas we did um, an archery shoot. Um, we'll do where ladies come and we'll do um, an all-ladies hunt. Um, every May I take a few ladies to Texas and we do a ram hunt. And usually it's ones that came to Weedle and they'll go with me. So it's just a matter of just creating some sort of events or a platform where you guys can all meet again. And I knew, like, we, we've, I think there's some of the ladies that have actually flown into my event, they still are on that Facebook group, even though they're not local, and they share other things, and just kind of keeping them um, 
interested and, and active in, in creating different things for them to attend. Um, every March we do a, I partner with the Wild Turkey Sportsman Association in our local area and we have all the widow ladies that we can get to even travel in to learn how to pattern their shotgun and get them ready for turkey season. That's huge. And turkey hunting is just a great, that's a definite great one to, to get them started in and to keep them excited about. That's the, like I've got a lady that came to Wido that cannot wait for um, taking her out opening weekend. And so that's all I hear, you know, she's excited. Word of mouth is huge. Like that you said that, and I think I told Charita that. That's it's huge. They, it takes off like wildfire. They get excited, they have fun, and then they tell their friends, and all of a sudden they're like, my friend wants to go, and so-and-so wants to go. So um, I agree with you. So. Um, one thing, I was going over some of these questions with my husband, and one thing that, yeah, yeah he's right there, but um, <laughs> one thing that we had, um, we talked about with like targeting those women who are interested, um, you know, I mean, everyone has premonition. You can tell, even if you take out 15 ladies dove hunting, for instance, um, out of those 15 ladies, there's going to be maybe, you know, five or six, seven of them that you can kind of target and say, you know what? These ladies are really interested. I can see them going further and pursuing this by themselves or taking a friend. And then you have the others that are eh, maybe still on the fence or eh, they might you know, need, a little, need a little more work or whatever, but you can always target those really serious ones um, that are ready, you know? So just use your premonition, you'll be able to tell. Uh, something that happened with our uh, first shop program that we didn't expect but we've seen is perhaps one of the most exciting things is uh, when we added food, because we love food, right? I was pretty adamant, we must eat or I will be hangry. So for the, for the turkey one, we did dinner and then for our deer one in the fall, we did lunch during the whole time. And what, what that did was create an environment that nurtured kind of this cross-pollination between people. So what happened was the mentees all talked to each other, got to know who lived where, interested, you know, just different interests, as well as the mentors with each other and the mentors with other mentees. So what has happened, um, and we have an example of it right here actually, is some of the mentors, so Russ, for instance, took Karen on the deer hunt for her very first deer hunt as far as the official program. Well, Karen happens to live closer by Rachel, another mentor. And because, simply because we set up an environment where people could chit chat and talk and the social, we have a Facebook group and all of that and connected people, that happened organically afterwards. And that is extremely important. You shouldn't do it. You don't have to do it all, and you shouldn't have to do it all. You should set up the environment where others can take that and move ahead. So we've had a lot of examples of other mentors taking out other mentees and mentees helping each other simply because of adding food and time to create those relationships. Okay, this is going to be the very hardest question of all. And I want you to think very carefully before you answer. What's the one word of advice that you'd give to women who are new to hunting? One word. You're first. <laughs> <laughs> so my word is patience. With yourself. One word. <laughs> one word. My word was patience. That's it. You're done. Um, <laughs> one word. I said this was hard. Just one word. 
super idea on that. We all have hunting clothes that we don't use anymore, and I think that would be an excellent idea is to start a, a camel clothing bank for these women because it would be intimidating to try to outfit with guns and bows and all the stuff that you need, so you shouldn't have to worry about finding a camo shirt or pants, just drag it on. I was going to say, I get a lot of women that actually will come up to our event or they'll see me at a ladies' night and say, my husband goes and I just feel like, you know, I just want to either be one of the guys or I just don't want to look like, you know, I just don't want to feel stupid while I'm out there or whatever, or I want to take my kids or I want to, you know, I want them to go camping, right? I just... And it's an empowering thing. That's when you said that I thought of the same thing. So well, let me tell you about her. We took her on a mentored hunt, and she shoots a truckload. We had to drag and skin all night. Look at you. Yeah, he taught her how to listen to birds and see the sun come up. And we took her hunting, and, and we had to take her bullets away. She learned well. Um, I grew up in a rural family, the men hunted. I shot 22s, pellet guns, BB guns. Um, I have no lack of people that will help mentor me. I just want to feel, how much do you practice before you take a gun out into the world? You know, seriously. I, I'm good enough not to kill anybody. <laughs> so what do you, you know, do you guys mentor these people, have a shooting day, and just say, go kill stuff? So, so that's a great question. I'll just start with, with myself um, personally. Is I started target shooting first. I started skeet shootings, sporting clays, etc. when I was 17 and didn't actually hunt or harvest anything until, until I was in my mid-20s. So I think that is a, a larger barrier than a lot of people who haven't grown up hunting don't realize is that fear of firearms. And, and, and it's a healthy fear, honestly. So getting them over that is extremely important. So for our mentored hunts, what we do um, is we pair our mentor and mentee up a month ahead of time. I'm not saying that's enough to be an expert shooter. I shot for years before I went out. However, for turkey hunting and for, for our deer hunting and for what we're doing, that pairing up a month ahead of time helps you realize because some people would have been like me, they have shot a lot before, and others are still scared. So there's a spectrum, and you need to get your partnership of your mentor and mentee to get to know each other and figure out what they need. And then patterning is part of that, and um, so I will pass it to one of you. I'm just going to throw the microphone at <laughs> We have a question back here. Oh, go ahead. So I have a question. We're from Minnesota. But how do we go about obtaining the funding and the sponsor background to start this? Do I get it back now? Yeah, now you get it. Right. <laughs> we have an answer. So I would, have a question. I would encourage you to contact your state DNR. In Ohio, we have a million dollars every year that's available for conservation clubs to apply for, and it has a special emphasis on programs that are going to do something that we think fits in the R3 model. So if you want to do a program that specifically targets adults that are new to hunting, you can get a grant as the NWTF from the Department of Natural Resources to do those programs. We've also um, partnered with the um, National Hunting and Fishing Day. They're big into that as well. Um, and they give us a grant every year for ours. So. State Superfund with the NWTF. And basically the Superfund, if you don't know, what is the Superfund? It's like a bank for your state. So um, 
they have it for outreach and, and your recruitment hunts and all that. So if you need like deer blinds and, and you know ammo or whatever, talk to your chapter. It would be a chapter treasurer, um, super fun coordinator, and they'll be able to provide you with uh, most of the stuff that you need to put on a hunt. Good sources on that. We have a question right here. Hi, ladies. Nice job, by the way. Um, so I'm not a hunter, but I am a professional fly angler, and we do the same thing in fly fishing. We have the panel, and I sit on that panel. And I wonder, um, it sounds exactly the same. I feel like if I put my head down, we would be in a fly fishing room. Um, and we struggle with diversity, finding diversity in our sport. And so I wonder if you haven't already broached that and I missed it somehow. Could you talk on how you are being more inclusive? Because I know in fly fishing, we can be very exclusive. And I'm just wondering how you guys broach that. It kind of goes back to, um, as far as diversity, um, obviously, um, coming from an urban background, city background, um, one way that you could um, start is by, I don't know how big your town is or city, um, but talk to your different organizations. Um, so like say, if you're doing like for youth, it would be like your big brothers, big sisters. Um, we have United Hispanics of America, you've got your uh, United Way, um, local NAACP, and then there's a million women's groups, um, like even in our town, um, where you can start um, and work on, uh, my big thing is for me, um, getting other women out there like me, whether it's urban women, minority women, you know, even the younger college type ladies. Um, and one way I've been trying to target that is just through the different organizations in the city, um, the different women's groups and NAACP and different organizations like that. That's the market we really need to tap into, um, in my opinion. Okay, and I would, uh, I'm not sure if you were there when I talked about how we select our, our random pool that we then pull from. I can't stress enough how important it is to think about your criteria um, and then pull from that. So if you're looking for adults who don't have a support network to help them hunt, then make sure that you're asking the right questions to then select from. Um, because that in of itself will help with the diversity. Because if you look at our hunters right now that are very, um, uh, homogenous, shall we say, and we know that diversity in America, we, um, we will be the minority later if you're a white man. Um, so how do we get that? If you simply look at that one factor that you don't know anybody to hunt, you don't have that network, and select from there, you will get more diversity. Now we're pulling people, mentees, from two hours away from D.C. and Baltimore, but I have heard the same story in other areas as well. So I really believe you create that atmosphere, it will help. And the second thing I want to add is the more that we can find diverse mentors as well, the more comfortable and inviting we're going to be. And if your mentees go out and reach out to their friends, it's just going to help so that eventually a diverse pool of people at our mentor hunt programs is going to be the norm, not unusual. What I'd add, oh, <laughs> I would add one more thing. I don't know if anyone in here was able to see the marketing presentation from The Truth at National Leadership Conference, but I think that really hit a really big point in relevancy, and that if we really want to attract new people that have never been hunting, speaking to Marsha's point, we have to recognize they know nothing about hunting, and we need to think pretty critically about the way that we communicate why we hunt. We are conservationists, therefore we hunt, not the reverse. Right. 
So if you don't come from a hunting family, you may never think hunting is for you because you don't quite understand the cultural nuances of what hunting is, but if you explain that it's about conservation, you explain the history of the wild turkey with our organization, you explain how hunting and conservation are linked, I think that makes it much more powerful to reach a more diverse range of people. As you can see, the questions are endless. I mean, everybody in here, we answer one question and three more pop into your mind. They only allow us one hour in here, and we've got some fun stuff that I'm sure everybody has these tickets. Did everybody get a ticket? Everybody in here? You probably have no idea what it's for, but let me tell you, it's some good stuff. Um, Mandy Harling. Does everyone here know Mandy and Teresa? So, was there anything that stood out to you in the seminar? Yeah, I thought it was, I don't remember her name, who was talking about it, but she mentioned that the only reason she got into hunting was the class for adults. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've heard of those kind of things, and I guess it's just very foreign to my brain because I literally grew up immersed in the hunting culture. Yeah. You know, it's shocking to me that a lady, you know, who has no hunting background actually would just decide to go to a hunting class you know but yeah that's pretty cool to hear that those actually work a and there's people out there who are now hunters because of them so that's i thought that was pretty interesting and you know that that is a good way for people to get into it because if you don't have somebody taking you the first couple times or at least introducing you to some form of hunting it's very hard for you to just decide I'm going to go be a hunter and go in the woods and kill things. Yeah. Even with all the good information out there on YouTube, with all the good information on Google, with all the great podcasts out there, it really, for someone who doesn't know anything about it, is too much to comprehend and and know that you're going to be able to go out and have not just success, but have any sort of real live hunting experience you know so yeah those kind of classes are huge and yeah i've noticed they've gotten a lot more popular so obviously there must be some fruit bearing from the tree there is and you know that was one thing that was repeated to me several times at the convention in february was that hey we're not having an issue recruiting hunters we're having an issue with the retention of Mm. hunters and that when those hunters come out and they'll do a mentored hunt and they like it, if the mentors don't follow back up with them and invite them on a second hunt and possibly a third, a fourth, a fifth hunt, then a lot of times, most of the time, those mentees will just be right back where they started from. They may have had a great experience, but you know, we're still not real big on inviting ourselves to do things with others. I know personally, I'm very selfish with my time in the spring. Sure. Especially. And I honestly have gotten to where I have a select few people that I enjoy hunting with. And that's my circle. And if one of those people doesn't go with me that morning, I'm going by myself. You know what I mean? Right. So that's something I probably could work on personally. I know. I guess there would be other seasons of the year I could take people out, and I wouldn't. 
I just feel my springtime is so precious in my few minutes and hours I get to spend out there. It's hard to hard to use it on somebody else. Maybe that'll happen more so when I'm a little older. I don't know. Yeah, I can definitely see that happening when you get older because, you know, at some point, God willing, you and Audrey will be having some youngins yourselves and you'll be introducing them to the sport. And at that point in time, you know, you may get to that phase where you say, I mean, I could care less about killing a turkey. I want junior or juniorette to squeeze the trigger this season. That's my goal. To I'll get probably just him roast him right out from under the kid, honestly. Yeah, well, that's what my buddy <laughs> Eric does to his kids. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. But what stuck out to me in the seminar was when one of the ladies said that women are in a lot of ways the future of hunting because they're really the sector that the sport is really growing in hmm. you know that they're that women are really the only demographic that hunting is catching on and you know there's more and more women hunters now than there have ever been and she went on to say that a woman who takes to hunting is much, much more likely to recruit other hunters. Not just recruit them, but retain them. The whole kid thing. Yeah, that's true. If a mother of children takes those children hunting and the mother is enjoying hunting, those children are going hunting. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not like dad taking them hunting while mom's at home. Eventually, mom's going to say, no, don't take them. You know, I, I want to keep them this weekend. Or mom's going to say, hey, you know, John's got his soccer game or his lacrosse game or yeah. whatever it is in the sport, whatever kind of sport it is in the spring. And so, you know, we lose kids to hunting for that reason. And women are much more likely to keep their kids involved in hunting if the women are hunting. Yeah, so, I think that's a solid point. Yeah. That really stuck out to me, and that's something I'd never thought about until I heard it at that seminar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes makes good sense. I mean, yeah. especially if you had a two-parent hunting household, then the whole family's going out together. It becomes a big, you know, deal. You I've seen a couple it. couples like that on social media and stuff, and that looks pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. So, awesome. Well, I enjoyed that, and I hope that you guys listening enjoyed that as well. Yeah. So... Guess what, Cameron? What? It is your turn for <laughs> the favor of the week. The favor of the week this week to stay on theme. Share this with a woman in your life that you think hunting might benefit, whether it's a spouse, sister, daughter, mother, friend, girlfriend, wish it was a girlfriend, whoever it may be. Share this episode with a woman or female. She might enjoy it. Might help her decide to try to get out in the woods and may get your spouse or significant other to go on a hunt with you or something like that. So maybe share it with them. Suggest they listen to it and let them hear how some other women are tackling the outdoors industry. And that's the favor of the week. I've said this a bunch of times. I'm going to say it one more time. Just in case somebody didn't hear it the other bunches of times that I've said it. This is the time of year to introduce people to the sport of hunting because we have two very exciting types of hunting that are in season right now 
dove and squirrel. Yeah, those are two of the easiest ones to introduce. They're very fun for people. They're probably going to get to shoot something. And for you guys listening, if your spouse is competitive, take your spouse out to the dove field. Oh, yeah. My brother's wife folded a dove in front of him, and he has never heard the last of it. Mm-hmm. So that definitely is a good tactic. Yeah. So very cool. Well, I like that favor of the week. Yeah. You're so, up next week. <laughs> I'm up next week. You're right. I have a whole week to come up with the favor of the week. Oh, yeah. It better be good. It better be real good. I'm just going to tell everyone listening, go ahead and buy your helmet now. Because (laughs) the favor of the week next week is going to blow your mind. Oh, man. I'm excited now. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, and one last thing before we sign off. I want to give a congrats to my brother who whacked a big bull elk. Oh, yeah. That was... You sent me the picture of that Joker. Yeah, big not, five by five. Not your brother. He's not the Joker, but that yeah. elk. Man, that yeah. was that's a nice elk, and you said he was in them. Oh, yeah. He found some bulls and called up two bulls and got a shot at that one. And he actually shot him with his bow, and the bull was facing straight at him, and he shot him just square up in the chest and penetrated through the heart and lungs, saw him crash. You know, he didn't hardly run at all. They got... He got some kind of new broadheads and arrows that are they're pretty bad to the bone. Mm. He said he pulled it right out and could have shot another elk with it immediately if he needed to. Wow. So anyway, he's he was by himself about eight miles in, and he got him all packed out and everything, and he's got plenty of elk meat for the rest of the off season. <laughs> That's awesome. That's the exciting part for me. Oh, heck yeah. Elk is delicious. It I'm is. hoping I get a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he, he killed, and my dad is actually going to go out there and hunt with him this coming week, and then my brother Thomas is going to go hunt with him the week after that. So there's potential we may have two or three elk killed in the family, and if so, I definitely will be getting my hands on some meat that way. Mm-hmm. But I've always said I'll start elk hunting as soon as one hops up on the limb, grows a beard, and rips a gobble right at first light. But I may have to give it a whirl one of these years. It's on my list. It's going to happen sooner rather than later for me. I've been wanting to do that ever since I was a kid. Yeah. And, you know, this, I tell you, as much fun as I'm having with the Super Slam, it really uses up a lot of my money for hunting, Mm -hmm. doing the other hunts that I want to do. I want to hunt mountain lion. I want to hunt an elk. You know, I've got two or three other big trips that I'd like to go on. I don't know for some strange reason. I have no earthly idea why I really want to do it, but I want to kill a coos deer. Really? Yeah. And, are those in the United States? Yeah, they've got them in Arizona. Or that, those are the little whitetail looking deer, yeah. aren't they? Yeah. Okay. They and, just don't get nearly as big, right? That's right. And I, I really have no earthly idea why, but it, <laughs> like for the past... I don't know, 12, I'd say 15 years, I've been wanting to go coos deer hunting. So, you know, that's on the list. A blacktail is on the list. Uh, There's just a lot of stuff that I have on the list that's not getting done because of the Super Slam. So I'm ready to get the Super Slam finished up and start exploring and spending some vacation time and some money doing some of these other hunts that I want to do so badly. Yeah, absolutely. Well... 
Maybe we'll have a topic regarding elk coming soon. We were pitching an idea earlier. Yeah. So that will leave a little cliffhanger for everybody. Looking forward to your intense favor of the week regarding helmets next week. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So congrats to Ryan Weddington. And looking forward to hearing the story about that elk. So hopefully I will see him sometime soon as well and see you and Audrey sometime soon also. So until then, let's wrap this thing up and call it a week. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. We know that you have choices. We appreciate you spending your time with us. We hope you have a wonderful week and we look forward to seeing you again next week with your helmet. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.